May the words of my mouth and the meditation of all of our hearts be always acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our strength and our Redeemer. Amen. Amen. Please be seated. Around my house at Christmas time, um, I do a lot of the present wrapping. I don't know how I get into that, but um, I do. I, I, I do most of the kind of... And I think that, you know, once you get paper over top of the package, that's pretty much enough. Um, my wife sort of thinks that there needs to be ribbon and bows on it. And so she says to me, like, Joe, it, it's really not finished, you know, until there's a ribbon and bow on it. I'm thinking, but they're just going to rip this stuff off. I mean, like, very, very quickly. And whatever, you know, just cover it and move on, you know. But, and so we have, you know, sometimes in some people's mind, you know, everything sort of needs to be kind of wrapped up metaphorically with a nice little bow on it. And if you're that kind of person, the book of Job is probably something that really annoys you, okay? Because it doesn't wrap everything up in a nice little package like that. Well, at least not in the way that you probably would like. Just a little bit of a a reminder, we've kind of been in Job for a few weeks here, but kind of backtracking just a little to kind of set the stage for this morning's lesson. Job has suffered greatly. God made a wager with the Satan, the one called the Satan, the adversary. Look, this guy, Job, good chap, loves me, will serve me. No matter what you do to him, he's not going to turn his back on me. And so, you know, Job lost everything. He lost all of his stuff. You know, all of his businesses went bankrupt. Uh, They were robbed and, you know, lost everything. Um, His children all died on the same day. His wife thought he was worthless and said, so, said as much. Um, she said, I can't really stand to be around you. His friends gather around and they do what friends do and they commiserate for a while. But then they begin to tell Job all the things that he must have done wrong to deserve this. And so for a long time, he, um, he has all of this. You know, he, he, he suffers physically. He, he, he develops these uh, sores all over his body. And so he has disease. He, he's bankrupt. Um, He lost his family. Uh, His wife is disgusted by him. He has nothing left. And um, last week, Job asked the question that perhaps you would ask. Why? (laughs) You know, know, I've done nothing to deserve this. Why? Uh, There's a comedian. um, Her name is uh, Tig Nortaro. And she she was uh, on her way out to do a stand-up routine in L.A., and eight days before she was to do the stand-up routine in L.A., she was diagnosed with stage 2 breast cancer, eight days before. She says, I was terrified that if I didn't get up, I didn't get up and do the act that I was scheduled to do, I would never be able to get up in front of people ever again. And so she, did, she does. She does the stand-up routine. Um, if, you, uh, if you go on This American Life, you can listen to a bit of this uh, uh, this routine on the on online on the internet, um, and, and she opens it up like this. She says, "Hi, how are you? How, how's everybody doing? You have comedians do right? How are you? How, how's everybody? I have cancer. Yeah, how are you? How are things going? Yeah, I have cancer. And and you hear people laughing in the background, and, and they're thinking that maybe she's about to set them up for a joke. They're laughing, and and then they realize all of a sudden that she's not joking." And they don't really know how to act, you know. And, and so she begins to tell some jokes about the fact that she has cancer. But she says there's more to it. Not only does she have cancer, you find out that um, about four months before this, she had been diagnosed with this, um, 
this bacterial uh, infection in her intestine that had caused her to come very near to the point of death. So she had this bacterial infection, you know, four months earlier, kind of made it through that to find out that she had cancer. But it actually got worse. Her mother, 65 years old, was out in the garage doing some things and tripped and fell, hit her head, and within 24 hours died. So she had this bacterial infection, she found out she had cancer, and she lost her mother. But it actually gets worse. In the middle of all this, uh, she had this um, long-term relationship, and this man walked out on her. And so here she was, alone. Her mother had passed away. She came through this disease and now finds out she has cancer. And, and at this one point, after she's telling all this, I mean, she's doing a really great job. I mean, it, it actually is very funny. But she says, she says, well, at least I can be sure of one thing. God will never give you more than you're able to handle. Ever. <laughs> and people laugh. Because we've all said that, haven't we? You know, it's kind of a, it's kind of a, a, a paraphrase of something St. Paul says. You know, the the Lord will not uh, cause you to go through more temptation. He'll bear you up. Uh, But we say this, you know, God will never give you more than you can handle. But sometimes we wonder if that's really true. I think Job probably wondered, really? Because I think I've reached that point. I think think I've gotten to the point where I think this is as much as I can get to. And and Tig Notaro, when she's telling her stand-up routine, she says... She says, I kind of envision when people say that, that that God is in heaven and the angels are saying, no, 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 she can't take any more. And God's saying, oh, oh, but I think she can. You know, trust me on this one, you know. Sometimes we feel like that, don't we? I don't think I can take any more. I think Job felt like he was there. I just can't take any more. And so about halfway through the book, after his friends have told him for a long time that it's his fault, he finally says, look, if I could rush into heaven, I would just lay my case before God and say, I've done nothing wrong. Why are you doing this to me? And then about uh, 10 chapters or so later, 15 chapters, God finally answers. And that was our lesson today, wasn't it? Job, the Lord speaks from the whirlwind. Job, come here. Let's talk. Listen to this again. Then the Lord answered Job out of the whirlwind and said, Who is this that darkens counsel by words without knowledge? Dress for action like a man. Here, come here. Put on on your big boy clothes. We are going to go talk is what God is saying, right? Come, let's talk together. And the Lord goes on to ask Job all of these questions. Where were you? Um, when did you, when was it that you did this? Or where was it? And for two chapters, God asked Job a series of very, very pointed questions. But what God never says in his long speech is something that frustrates me. Maybe it frustrates you. He never tells Job, hey, look, I made a bet and I wagered on you. Just tell him. Why don't you just tell him? But he doesn't. He doesn't say... Job, you were right. You did nothing to deserve this. Just say it. Say, Job, you did nothing wrong. You know, you, he doesn't say that. But neither does he say you deserved it. And by not saying it, he does vindicate Job. Nowhere does he say to Job, look, you had it coming. 
And so Job knows that he did suffer without having done wrong. It wasn't for sin. It wasn't for punishment that he suffers. So what does God actually say? What, what does he, he say? Well, the first thing he says is, Hey, listen, Job, I'm God. And you're not, right? I mean, that's, there's something in that. Hey, hey, Job, I'm God and you're not. I think I've heard that message to me a time or two. Hey, Job, I'm God, you're not. Maybe you've heard that one yourself. He says, also, he says some other things, too. He, he asks some very pointed, as I said, and hard questions. Sometimes the interrogation seems really harsh, doesn't it? Sometimes, sometimes it's like, ouch, why did you have to say that, you know? Yeah, point out the obvious, why don't you, you know? And, but God asks some very difficult questions. And I think it's easy for us to believe that this interrogation is meant to be humiliating to Job. Listen here, you little worm. What, what, what were you thinking? We think it's humiliating. But there's another way to look at it. Maybe it's not that God is trying to humiliate Job, but actually exalt him. Come, dress like a man, he says, you know, in the ancient Near East. Be ready to come. Come, let, let's, let's reason together. God actually is bringing Job into his conversational realm. He actually says, Job, I want to talk with you about this. And I want you to consider a few things. And he looks at creation. Listen to the first thing he does. Where were you when I laid the foundation of the earth? Job, can you tell me um, the measurements of the planet? Could you quantify it for me? Please, do you know exactly how big it is or, you know, what material it's made out of? And, and we have scientists today who think they could answer some of these questions, but, but where did it come from? You know, I love this question. You know, like, I, I think I've mentioned before that um, this uh, physicist in, in England, Stephen Hawking, he, he says, you know, that the Big Bang, you know, we didn't need a god for a Big Bang. And, 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 and Rowan Williams, the Archbishop of Canterbury, said, well... That's fantastic. I mean, great that you understand that. But let me ask you this. Why is there something instead of nothing? <laughs> and that's a question that, that physicists cannot answer. You know, why is there something instead of nothing? Job, why is there something instead of nothing? And how much something is there anyway? I mean, that's a tough question for Job to answer. It, it, he goes on. Um, what about the sea? Do you, what can you tell me about it? Who shut in the sea with doors when it burst forth out of the womb? When I made the clouds in its garment and thick darkness covered the swaddling man? Job, where were you when I prescribed the, the boundaries of the oceans? Can you tell me how they're held in? And then he goes on. Tell me about ostrich eggs, Job. Tell me about how the ostrich lays her eggs and, and runs off from Tell me why she does that. Tell me, tell me about goats up on the mountains or about donkeys or about horses or about any of these. Tell me about your vast knowledge of creation because it's really a miracle, isn't it? Listen, it's as if God invites Job to walk into a garden. Have you, you know, I know nothing about planting anything. Weeds, I can grow them, you know, because they take no effort. But, but like real flowers and plants and, and those sorts of things, couldn't do it if my life depended on it. But I know some people who can. There was a lady uh, in, in one of my former parishes, her name was Mary, and, and, and Mary, she had this beautiful garden. 
And sometimes I would go over to see her and she would just take me through and just show me all of these great flowers. This is what God is doing with Job, right? Come, let's walk through this creation. And what do we see? We see a creation that's wild and wooly, you know, ostriches and wild donkeys and whatever, and seas that roar, but it's not in chaos. We see a creation that's wild and untamed and sometimes scary, but it's not in chaos. God has set parameters in each part of this creation. God is in control. And so what he's saying to Job is, listen, I know you don't get this. I know you don't understand this. But let me let you look at the rest of creation. Nothing, nothing is out of my control. Will God give us more than we can handle? You know, I don't know the answer to that. I don't think I've... I don't think I've ever been in that place where I've said, I can't do any more, you know. I think some people have. But I know this, that if the worst thing happens to us, happens to us, God is still in control. (laughs) That's comforting, isn't it? If the worst thing that happens to us does happen to us, or the worst thing that can't happen to us does happen to us, God is still in control. So the worst thing isn't that bad. Uh, John Wesley, uh, when he was on his way to America in the 18th century as a missionary, on the ship, tossed by the waves, you know, rains are coming down, people are screaming, he thinks it's going to be the end of his life, everybody thinks it's going to be the end of their lives, except for this little band of Moravian Christians. They probably think it's going to be the end of their lives too, but, but here they acted differently. They sat in their little room, And they sang hymns. They testified of God's goodness. Everybody else is screaming, panicking, running for their lives. Even the Reverend John Wesley, an Anglican priest, you know, having been trained at Oxford, taught at Oxford, brilliant person. Everybody else is running and screaming, including Wesley and these Moravian Christians. They're singing hymns and praising God. Because they know if the worst thing happens to them, does happen to them that God is still in control. Uh, Tig Nortano, she, she tells the story, she's, she says, as she's telling all these really serious jokes about death and cancer, jokes about cancer, um, as she's telling these, she says, you know, I was going to come out here today and tell you this story about this bumblebee that like is flying down the 405, you know, and, and I couldn't tell that, you know, I couldn't tell that story. And she keeps referring back to this story about the bumblebee. And at the end, somebody says, tell the bee joke. You know, let's hear the bee joke. Can we hear that one? And she says, yeah, well, it kind of goes like this. You know, I'm, I'm sitting on the 405 and stop traffic and my window's down. And I've been sitting there for an hour. And, and all of a sudden, this bumblebee flies by me. And I get passed by a bumblebee while I'm sitting in stop traffic. And I think to myself, you know, and then off I get passed by a bumblebee. And then she says, and P.S., what's a bumblebee doing out on the 405 anyway? You know, why don't I take another? The whole point of the joke is it's ridiculous. Sometimes the little things that annoy us, they're not even funny. I mean, they're, they're just absurd when you look at the big things of life, right? And if you haven't been faced by a big thing, guess what? Sooner or later you will. And the question that you have to answer is this. If the worst thing that can happen to you does happen to you, 
do you still have a reason for hope? And for Job, he says, yes, I do. And for those of us who believe in Jesus Christ, we say, yes, we do. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit.